Welcome back to another episode of School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. This week, we have the full crew back together. Adam and Chris are both joining me today. Guys, first off, how you guys doing? I'm doing good, man. Um, I My Braves are in the playoffs in this quasi-contender. Um, Everton are terrible. It fits like an old glove. Let's uh, Let's get moving. Do we have to? I mean, we could stop right now. And it would be okay. And I think we would have explained everything that happened this week. So uh, it was it, it's everything is bad, and you should feel bad. All right, let's go home. I, I uh, think Everton fans always feel bad. Um, exactly. So uh, what do we even need to tell them? Just feel bad. Just continue operating as you have your entire life. Exactly. It's normal to them. They don't know what it, it feels. We don't know what it feels like to feel. You know. You what know, is joy? I, I I went to my therapist today and I was like, "Can we talk about Everton?" And she just looked at me like I had three eyes. So. <laughs> Did you well, also get to talk to her about how uh, how often I beat your ass in Madden? Uh, that's uh, that's therapy like three hundred one. I don't think we can get into that. <laughs> yet. Ah, okay, okay. Well, I mean. I, I can't speak on the Madden guys, but I can speak on Everton and, you know, it's been a, it's been a rough road and, and if it's anything like Everton, I'm sure the Madden can't be too good either, but Everton lost this week, uh, 3-1 despite, you know, a, a decent effort and against obviously one of the two title contenders this season. Um, with the gap that kind of City and Liverpool have shown, um, that's between them and the rest of the league. Let's just start right there. You know, with everything in mind, what can we take from this performance, Chris? So maybe, maybe this is divergent from the, the standard stock opinion from the weekend, but I actually felt like it was an encouraging performance from Everton. And I know that maybe we should couch it in Manchester City were down both of their two best center backs in America Report and John Stones. Uh, LOL John Stones, but, um, you know, they, they generated quite a bit of attacking progress in terms of, you know, if, if Ederson is not at the top of his game in Manchester City's goal, we probably score two or three times instead of one. And I know the expected goal total after the game kind of reflected that. And I, I think that's, there's something to be said for, um, not not only Alex Awobi and Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but Fabian Delph and Morgan Schneiderlin had pretty good games, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but Everton's first four midfielders are quite capable, and I think we saw that on Saturday. Yeah, and I think that the the takeaway for me is is that Everton kind of remains the same team that they were the second half of last season, which is one that you know, is is capable of taking it to, to teams who try to play out of the back. And obviously, you know, when you talk teams to play out of the back, you're certainly thinking Manchester City coming uh, coming to mind first, at least in, in the Premier League. And, and we saw it last year against Arsenal, against Spurs, against Chelsea. Um, and that's all well and good and it, this this performance which i agree w- was pretty strong shouldn't really come as a surprise to us um i ran the numbers uh since about the two-thirds waypoint of of last year since the the 3-0 win against cardiff city which kind of started that that hot finish that everton had at the end of last year um since then 
Uh, Everton has played six matches uh, against the traditional top six. It's played one against each, so one against City, United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, and Chelsea. Uh, and they've gotten 11 points in those matches, which is good for 1.83 points per match, which uh, is pretty fucking good. Uh, it's really good. It's probably, I, I didn't think to check historically, it's probably the best run over any similar period in the last decade, probably. Um, the problem is that uh, in the 12 matches that they've played in that period against the rest of the league, they've gotten only 17 points, 1.42 points per match. So Everton is almost a half a point better against a team like Manchester City than against a team like Burnley, who we see this week. Which, um, is, which is kind of infuriating because during the Ronald uh, Koeman and um, Roberto Martinez years, we would have given our left nut to beat the top flight teams or the top teams in the table. And Marco Silva comes along and it looks like he figures out how to do that. And then we can't beat literally anyone else. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's, it's the same thing that it's, it's been with Silva, you know, for a, a long time now that when, when the high press is working and when teams are playing in a way that, that lets Everton capitalize on that, um, the team will be successful. And even though, you know, against, against City and last year against Chelsea and against Arsenal. Um, what, what we saw a lot of times was Everton kind of steps out in this real high press to put a, a pressure on opposing center backs, especially, you know, in this case against City where with Laporta and, and Stones out, as you rightly mentioned, to put pressure on those center backs. And once the press gets broken, then if the ball gets into the midfield, then Everton kind of drops deep. It's a deep block. And then they look to play on the break and, and, Silva's gotten a lot of joy out of, out of that, that setup uh, against these, these big teams. And it's just not something that you can do against Burnley because Burnley's not going to give you the chance to press them. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Burnley later, but at the end of the day, uh, the, the issue that Silva continues to have and, and the reason that although this is a good performance against City and one that you should feel positive about in a vacuum, it doesn't negate the other issues that we've seen so far this season that are the reason that Everton currently sits in, you know, 15th place or whatever. And for me, it kind of underscores the desire for Marco to be a little bit more flexible in terms of how he sets up. You know, it, it, it's always kind of like the pipe dream that you have your 11 players who are going to start every day, barring injury, kind of like a baseball team, right? But with Everton, you know, you can see Gilfie Sigurdsson and, starting against the top teams because he's really good in the open field that he presses well and that kind of thing. But against a team like Burnley or against a team like uh, Bournemouth or whoever, there's no real reason not to just play Bernard and Alex Awobi instead. And, yeah, and you know, I think he, I think he tried that to his credit against city and Theo Walcott got um, unfortunately injured really early on. But in the past, we've seen him just kind of stick with the same setup every single time. Yeah, and like I said, we'll we'll talk more about Burnley in in a bit, but I think that that will be uh, among the interesting things to look out for in that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, you guys did it, you know, all in the head right there. Said all that really needed to be said. You know, things, you know, they, 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 you can never get it all, you know, going right at at the same time. It seems like with Everton, whether it be you know doing well against the top six, showing up for those big games, um, or um, you know, do and not showing up for the the games against you know the lower level teams that we kind of expect ourselves to be nowadays, uh, or or vice versa. But um, you know, 
Obviously, you guys mentioned the pressing. Some things have had to change a little bit since uh, the loss of one of our midfielders in the offseason. And, um, you know, now we've lost a couple more um, midfielders due to injury and a player who's kind of been pretty prominent so far this season and featured a lot has been Morgan Schneiderlin. Um, and uh, I think it's, you know, time we break him down and kind of figure out, you know, is he actually good? <laughs> um, that's, you know, the basics of it. So far this season, he got sent off on opening day against Crystal Palace. Uh, but since then, you know, been a pretty frequent starter due to some injuries to, uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamon and Andre Gomes. So I ask you guys and Adam, I'll ask you first. Is Schneiderlin any good and can Everton get where they want to be with him playing? you know, at least moderately prominent minutes? Um, I have long held, even even really at the, the lowest lows uh, of Schneiderlin's time at Everton. That, this, that, this is yeah, the block, by the, the way. The go- yeah, this is – yeah, I, you can tell that I wrote the outline for this, uh, this episode because <laughs> I want to talk about Morgan Schneiderlin. Uh, yeah, and because, you know, my my attitude towards him – for as long as he's been at Everton, is that, yeah, he's a quality midfielder. I don't necessarily know if he's – I don't think he's a guy who starts every week um, on a team that breaks into the top six, but I think he's a guy who probably starts 10 to 15 games and is prominent off the bench for a team in that position. Sure. Look, we know who this guy is, okay? He's, he's going to sit deep. He's going to provide cover for the back four. Um, he can play the ball over the top really well. People forget that in his first season um, at Everton after he moved from uh, from Manchester United in, in the, the January window, from that January to the end of the season, the, the dude uh, hit more long balls and more long balls accurately than anybody in the Premier League. Now, he obviously had Romelu Lukaku to play to at that point, which we don't, don't have anymore. Um, but th- there is a little bit... Um, more, I think, progression in his game uh, than folks give him credit for. Um, he's positionally sound. I know he doesn't cover a ton of ground because he's not real quick, but he does make up for that positionally. Um, and all of that said, all of those good things said, we know that his attitude at times has been a problem. He is prone to doing stupid stuff like we saw on opening day against Palace where he takes a stupid second yellow that he just doesn't need to take after he takes a stupid first yellow that he doesn't need to take. Um, so I, I don't deny that some of those negatives that, that folks see in him are there, but I think that the, the issues that he has moving the ball um, are blown way out of proportion. And I think he's a much better forward passer than people give him credit for. And I think that as long as he's locked in and focused and feels like he has, you know, his role in the team is secure. I, I think he can continue to be, you know, a, a third choice guy in that that holding midfield spot. Which means, you know, since you're playing two every every game, yeah, the guy's gonna gonna get to play. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have many problems with Morgan Schneiderlin. I think that a lot of the problems that that the the larger Everton public have is just his style of play and it being one that's a little bit hard to appreciate. Um, for you American football fans out there, and 
even for you British American football fans out there, it reminds me a lot of um, Alex Smith, who's a quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs for a long time in the San Francisco 49ers. Just incredibly effective at really short-range offensive playmaking and just not flashy in the slightest. You didn't notice him, and he wasn't exciting, so it was easy to say, well, he's not very good. When the reality is something a little bit different than that, and I think Morgan suffers from the fact that he just wants to sit in front of the center backs and move the ball. Yeah, and, and the issue is, you know, in in large part, again, and I, I think becomes a tactical one where the guys in the center of midfield don't necessarily know what to do with the ball when they get it because Marco's system is always so heavily emphasizing getting the ball out wide that, you know, I, if if that's not your natural inclination, and I think that Schneiderlin is among guys who would much rather, you know, play either short into the feet of the 10 in front of him or long over the top to the striker, um, that, that that style of play is not necessarily one um, that that is the way that he wants to be playing. Um, he's obviously adjusted this season, and we've seen him be pretty good in, in ball retention and, and decent in progression. Um, and obviously the way that Silva has been playing against the less talented teams in the division is not working. Um, so I don't, I don't think that you can put blame on Schneiderlin or on Delph or Gomesh or whomever else in the center of midfield um, as a result of that. Uh, but I have multiple times watched games, watched Everton games this season and thought to myself, you know, that, that Morgan Schneiderlin looks like the Morgan Schneiderlin we got um, in his first season, you know, the second the second half of that, that year after he came over from January where we thought, oh, man, you know, this guy is going to be the guy to hold down the midfield going forward. He's still got that in him. Yeah, yeah I, I think you guys, um, you know, I, I like what you guys said there. I also, you know, going on what Chris said about Alex Smith, you know, they used to call Alex Smith, you know, or, or sometimes they even call, you know, some Alabama quarterbacks a game manager. You know, a guy who goes out there and just manages the game, goes out there and makes sure everything goes smoothly. And that, you know, it, it's like kind of a great way to explain. It was a great um, way to explain kind of what Schneiderlin does because mm-hmm. he goes out there, he, he he does what he think is fundamentally right and and just goes out and kind of manages the game, sits in front of that back line, manages the back line, and, and gets the ball out out um, from his feet, and you know tries to push it forward a little bit. Um, you know, I don't think I think you guys are both right. I don't think he's been you know overly bad. I think he's been solid for us. Obviously, I think a lot of Everton fans, you know, have seen what Andre Gomish can do when he's at his best, and you know maybe they feel like that would be something they would like to see. Plus, we haven't seen too much of JPG, so you know. They may be thinking other things like that, and obviously because those two are injured, we're not able to see that on a week-to-week basis. Um, but I think, Adam, what you said um, at the beginning, you know, he's a good center midi to have, a central defensive midfielder to have to, you know, kind of if he's like a third string, he's, you know, he's going to get minutes and, you know, he's been solid for us, you know, really for the most part since the day he he arrived. I would just like to interject one thing before we move on. Um, Adrissa Gay has now played eight games for PSG. They have not given up a goal in, in eight games. Um, so pour, pour one out for our homie. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, 
Oh, I miss I miss him very much. Uh, <laughs> uh, not that he would necessarily solve some of the issues that we've had this season. Um, but, but like, and obviously this is not worth getting into too much because it's water under the bridge. But the second goal that we gave up against Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday, that's the kind of thing that Adrissa Gay snuffs out mm-hmm. 30 seconds before it happens and you don't ever notice that he did it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, it, I, I suppose, you know, I, for me, in my head, just kind of the way that I've, I've watched this team so far this year, it, it, my focus has been more on the attacking inefficiencies. And, it, you know, and, and when you, you focus on that, it's easy to forget that the team has not been particularly good defensively since that strong defensive start to the season. Um, and certainly not having Idrissa around anymore plays a huge role in that. Um, but in terms of the attack, which I think is long term, the harder thing to to fix, uh, you know, you miss him less there than, than you do in, in the defense. Yeah, no, great, great point there, um, guys. And, you know, obviously we're all missing him, <laughs> you know, but it's good to see him, you know, doing well at PSG and doing good things over there, too, because, you know, it kind of validates, you know, what we saw on a week-to-week basis here at Everton. Um, anything else from this, guys? No, let's, I'm, uh, I'm good. Let's move on. Let's let's never, ever play City again is my takeaway. No, I mean, yeah, and we've, we've talked a little bit on this show about um, how a top six place is, is there for the taking because um, – Spurs and Arsenal and Chelsea and United all have such problems. And, you know, this one just kind of serves as a reminder for, for those of us who are not necessarily watching league wide matches on a week to week basis, just how much better, uh, Manchester City and Liverpool, unfortunately, are than everyone else in the division. And it's not close. <laughs> so, so to, to take away a 3-1 from this with a decent performance, you know, in a vacuum is, is, is decent. Um, there are still bigger bigger problems at play against different kinds of opponents, though. To, to segue into our next segment, Everton mm-hmm. should probably hire Jesse Marsh. Ooh, ooh! Don't 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 tease me with a good time like that, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you know what? He uh he kept it pretty close today against Liverpool with a, a far worse roster than we have. So yeah, Whew. Boy, it did that not for- do a bad job. When when I saw when I was sitting at my desk at work today and saw that Salzburg had leveled it at three against Liverpool, I really took every fiber of self control I have not to just start running up and down the aisles in my office. <laughs> Let's go, motherfucker! Uh, but I didn't do that because <laughs> I need to pay my rent. <laughs> yeah, that's probably probably made a right the the right choice there. Um... But yeah, I mean, that's a great segue, Chris. Speaking of managers. Uh, yeah. Between managers, because, uh, Marco Silva's not, uh, not, or at least he's getting a lot of heat for the way the team has been performing. Um, you know, it's not been good. Uh, we've stated that multiple times already in this specific podcast, if not, uh, multiple times before. Um, you know, let's ask the simple question here. How much you know, is Marco Silva to blame for Everton's slow start to the season? 
I, I think I would say probably a, a fair amount, honestly, but I'm also a little bit sympathetic to the lack of, uh, you know, JPG and the lack of Andre Gomez the last, uh, what, three, four games. Uh, I think it's very difficult to get a good sense of your capabilities without your ostensibly your two, your two starting midfielders. So, so there is that to consider. And, you know, there's also, I don't blame the lack of center back depth on Marco. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Marcel Brands runs the transfer department. So uh, while I have a lot of Marco Silva complaints, I also don't know that I would up and fire him tomorrow. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm getting to be a little bit more flexible on that point than I had been. Yeah, and I think I think that you have kind of divided it out there nicely uh, in a way where you can kind of say when you look at the defensive struggles – um, that the team has had, you know, 12, 12 goals against in, in seven Premier League games. Most of those, those games against teams that, you know, you don't necessarily think of as offensive dynamos. Um, you can have a lot of sympathy for Silva in that regard because he doesn't, because he's only got, you know, two Premier League level center backs and because the center of midfield, you know, protecting that back four has been a revolving door. Um, 100%, you know, I, I think that obviously there's still potentially some, some blame to be laid at his feet for some of the sloppy set piece defending. Um, but also, you know, when you talk about what Everton has conceded from open play, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you're playing, uh, is ostensibly your third and fourth, fourth choice center mids, uh, because you just don't, don't have another choice. Um, but on the opposite side of the ball, when you look at a team that has only scored six times in seven matches and has uh, Alex Iwobi, Richarlison, Bernard, Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, and Moise Keane, that is a lot tougher for me to, you know, uh, come up with an excuse for, especially with how miserable it's looked um at times as well it's not just been that the goals aren't coming it, it's been a lot of uh of times that it doesn't look like the goals are ever going to come P- potentially you know the city match this week notwithstanding i think you might say differently about the city match this week but for most of the the rest of the season this is not a team that's felt like it's on the verge of an offensive breakout that that sh- should be commensurate with the amount of attacking talent that it has. And when that happens, it's hard to lay the blame anywhere but but the feet of the manager. You mean you're not a fan of putting all of the attacking responsibility on Lucas Denier and just running to the end line and crossing it into the box over and over again? Well, you know, and that's at, at the end of the day, it continues to be the the attack is. Still, it's the exact same thing that it's been from day one. Uh, and when you're playing against Manchester City and you know you're going to get space in behind, that's great. It's great. It works. You can do that. Wonderful. But when you're playing, you know, Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson has 13 guys behind the ball, you got to come up with something else. And through, you know, now 30, uh, nope, uh, 38 plus 7, 45. Premier League matches, I still don't know if we've seen anything from Marco Silva that indicates, yes, we can on a regular basis figure out a way with this roster, which is a better attacking team than it was last year with the talent that's been added 
and not by an insignificant margin, I don't think, um, still cannot find a way to consistently score goals against the deep block. Uh, you can't you can't mo- you can't go on like that. You just can't well, do it. And and for um, Alex Awobi and Bernard in particular, it looks like they want to do something else. Like they've they've got mm-hmm. the ideas and yeah, and allowed and, to or coached to. And you know, and you look at the fact that that Adam Lookman was allowed to leave and you know not now not play at all at, at RB Leipzig the same way that someone on this podcast said last year that he would not. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, again, another guy who is very much not that traditional winger role. Who, when he gets on the ball out wide, you never know where the hell he's going to go with it because uh, he's he's got that kind of inclination to just find the space, play the ball real quick, and try to progress that way. Um, uh, that is very Nicola different Vlasic, than a Bernard. Also, that kind of player. Mm. Who is Nikola Vlasic? Also, that kind of player. Mm, it's a good point. <laughs> who is also no longer with the club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, you look back to last season when we were having problems with with the defense, and and you know things came out afterwards where you know Marco had spent you know hours upon hours trying to figure this out, and eventually they did, and eventually they went on that little run at the end of last season, and things were looking up, and obviously that team has changed a little bit. Again, we lost Adrisa Ganagay, who was an important part of that team, and but but you take from that, and you hope that Marco has been trying to figure something out with the way the offense has been. But it, it just, you know, like you guys have mentioned, it doesn't look like there's an answer there. It doesn't look like there's, you know, it doesn't look like he's trying to switch things up, try different things. The predictability from week to week, it, you know, whether you're a Premier League level manager or just us sitting here, you pretty much have a pretty good idea of what Everton is going to do offensively week to week. And, you know, it's obviously not working very well. You know, and I think that the, the, the Sheffield match from a couple of weeks ago, you know, provides a, a great example of that because when you look at Everton's expected goals numbers, um, they tell you a story that I think is a little bit misleading. Uh, Understat has their, so Everton has scored six goals this, this season. Understat has their expected goals at 9.93. So, I mean, basically 10. Um, obviously, a little bit of that comes from uh, Ederson standing on his head at, at times uh, against City the week before. But, like, when I look back at the Sheffield United match, um, Everton put up 1.26 expected goals. So you'd expect them to score a, about a goal, you know, uh, in that game. But they did it on 16 shots, um, which is a ridiculous number uh when you're talking about only getting you know 1.26 xg out of that let's let's do some math there so that's you know that you're you're getting not even point you're getting 0.08 expected goals per shot at that rate and that is, that is really a fact it's it's a function <laughs> of it's not good <laughs> it's, and it's a function of not being able to get the ball into the dangerous areas. And your shots end up being either well-marked headers in the box off of crosses from the wings or shots from outside the box because they can't penetrate. And sure, when you get enough of those added up, eventually your expected goals numbers start to look okay because you've just taken so many fucking shots. But 
it, it, the, the math, you know, the math might say that 50.02 uh, XG shots is worth as much as one, one XG shot. But in reality, it doesn't really work that way. And what we need to see from this Everton team is not more shots. We need to see more quality shots, and we just don't seem to have a way to get there right now. Well, look at uh, look at the Manchester City game. We put up uh, twelve shots, and the shots on target were eight to nine. Like it was dead even. Yeah, and again, and and the City game, I think, uh, uh, just to kind of reemphasize, I think the City game is an outlier in a lot of ways because City is a team that allowed us. Uh, time and space to attack um, in, in ways that we haven't seen the rest of the season because they're the first top six team we've played this year. And as a result, you see, oh, you know, yeah, Everton puts up, you know, 2.3 XG and, and has, you know, three shots that are worth more than 0.4 XG. And, and yeah, obviously you would hope that more than one of those gets put away. Um, but But that is very much an outlier on what has been a very consistent output of a lot of shots of low value uh, without really any proof that, that those those low value shots are adding up to something bigger in the long run. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you, you guys, I mean, you're absolutely right there, Adam. I mean, you know, you look at, Everton's total shots across the season. I was just looking it up. They have like 91 total shots um, on the season. Um, 28 of them have been on target. So that's a shot accuracy of about 31%, according to the Premier League stats page here. Um, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of those, you know, well-guarded, well-defended headers, those, those long shots from outside the box. And, you know, in the end, like you guys have mentioned, you know, that is not going to score you many goals. They're low, um, they're low level chances for a reason. They're not considered high percentage chances for a reason because, you know, that's why you see highlights about the shots from outside the box because they're, they're hard to, they're hard to come by. And, you know, they got to figure something out on offense if they want to want this to move forward. And, and like we've said multiple times already, you know, that falls a little bit on Marco Silva because, the talent is there and nothing's really happening with it. But, you know, based on all that, based on what we've talked about, how long of a leash do we think Farhan Mushiri has um, or gives Silva, you know, what kind of upcoming results could we real, could realistically get him fired? Um, you know, obviously the next few matches, um, they have Burnley, West Ham, Brighton, a struggling Tottenham side, Southampton and Norwich City. Those are the next six league matches. So, Chris, we'll go to you first. Those are the results. What kind of results get Marco Silva, you know, sacked in this situation? How long of a leash does Farad Mashiri give him? I, th- I think, I think on the leash is probably longer than people realize it is. Um, because I, I think that Mashiri has sunk enough money into this project at this point that, you know, player transfers alone, not even talking about wages or um, managerial wages, we're upwards of 400 million pounds, I think, at this point. And so you kind of have to look at it like, at what point do you just try to ride it out and hope that he turns it around? And 
and not continually reset the hamster wheel, right? Like at some point it becomes counterproductive. I don't know at what point that is. I'm, I probably, you know, it's not my money. So I would, if you know, there's, there's a bunch of good coaches out there. Um, Valencia just sacked Marcelino. Jose Mourinho is out there. I don't think he would ever take this job, but I think he's a better manager than Marco Silva. I, you know, if, if we get something like one or, you know, one win and one draw out of the next six games, I think you probably have to do it. But anything barring that kind of disaster, I think he probably stays. And I think I think you're probably about right. And I think that the interesting thing about this next, you know, I, I listed out the next six games because they're all winnable, uh, eminently winnable when you think about, you know, Burnley, West Ham, Brighton, Southampton, Norwich, and, and a Tottenham side that got blasted for seven goals by by Bayern uh, in the midweek this week. Uh, and, and then after that, things get a little um, interesting uh, because that is that takes us into December, which is easily Everton's toughest run of the season. In December, Everton has currently third placed uh, Leicester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United, all, uh, and then Burnley, Newcastle, and Man City uh, over that the quick three three games in seven days period between Boxing Day and the New Year. Um, and I, I, what I almost wonder will happen is I, I think that, you know, Everton will struggle in, in this next run of games because we haven't seen anything that suggests they won't against these kinds of teams. Um, and so the seed will get real hot and then they'll come out against some not necessarily, uh, as good as they normally are, uh, top six. Traditional top six teams, you know, when I look at, at the Chelsea and Man United and, and uh, Arsenal matches, and he'll probably pull some results out there, and it'll keep his job to the end of the season because everyone will go, oh, look, look at what Marco's done, you know, getting wins against top six teams. And then we'll go back and we'll lose to Burnley and we'll draw against Newcastle and we'll be right back to where we started. Uh, realistically, I think it's hard for me to see a world where he doesn't make it to the end of the season or at least effectively you know what is effectively the end of the season until our any aspirations of a cup or a top six finish are gone uh because as chris has said farhad has sunk so much money into this um it's hard for me to to see him going away from it so quickly i would i would say that that stretch against the top six sides i think it is in december is probably the flashpoint right because if if he struggles in the next six games against the bad teams and then does not, for whatever reason, pull some results out against those good teams, then it's probably you're in the danger zone. Yeah. Um, and so if you get through if you get through those top six games with those you know a couple wins and a draw, and, and you know you make up ground after playing poorly against the bad teams, you can kind of ride it out. But if those next mm, 10, 12 games go bad, that's when I think you know. Maybe it's time for David Unsworth to manage the Boxing Day stretch. Oh God, no! Don't say that. Please don't. Hey, we can we can recall John Joe Kinney from loan. Oh my God! Don't talk to me about David Unsworth. <laughs> Never say his name again. At least, at least Marco Silva has a plan tactically. It's it's not one that's working, um, but he has one, which is more. Then we can say for David Unsworth, perhaps I've already said too much. You don't like the Swan lads run hard. <laughs> no, no, no. Run hard is, is not a strategy. 
<laughs> despite what David Unsworth and many others think. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I obviously agree with you guys. I think, you know, it's tough because, they, like you said, like, if we're not too high on the table right now, and obviously, you know, relegation you hate to even bring up the word and obviously that's not something that like obviously right now we're even looking at but you know again if it's a tough run of games for the next six games you know like you could be looking at it at that point exactly (laughs) it's not that mathematically it's not that far you're absolutely right and 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 the amount of money Fard Mashiri put into this you know, I think that staying up in the Premier League is a lot more important than keeping your manager around who hasn't won you games in a while. Um, that's, a, that's a really important point. At the same time, I refuse to believe that this roster is not talented enough to stay I, up without I, a manager. I know. I, 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 yeah, I completely agree with you just, you know, from that perspective because, you know, I mean, it's, it's worth mentioning right now. It's worth well, mentioning. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. We, we, we've winded back not too many months ago. We saw it with Ron Kuman. We brought in the ultimate relegation saver in Sam Allardyce. So yeah. it's, it's not impossible. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and yes, like you said, I, I completely agree with you guys. This team is not, that does, has much more talent than a team that's going to get relegated, even if they didn't have a manager, but. um, In the all time small sample size department, we're two points out of a relegation spot. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But if you're talking about getting five points out of the next six, yeah, then you're starting to talk about sample sizes that are not quite so small, and then you're still probably in a relegation fight, and that's a different story. Yeah, and then, you know, if we come back and, and you know, Marco Silva figures something out and we have a great run of games and, you know, you feel confident going into that stretch of games where we got to play the top six and, you know, it's the constant roller coaster we live on as Everton fans. Um, but, you know, let's finish this topic uh with one last question um you know we've talked about how long of a leash Fard Mashiri uh has uh will give Silva we've kind of talked about this as well um you you guys personally how long of a leash do you give him um what kind of what stage of failure would you give him the sack um you know if it got to you know that point Adam um, he gets the next six games for me as a proving ground. Um, you really, you can take the Tottenham game out. So five of the next six, because even if Tottenham's not playing very well, you know, they're going to play, uh, the way that a, a bigger club does. Um, and I'm not really interested in, in what the performance there is, because we know we can play against those kinds of teams. If, if in those, those five matches against the, the less talented teams, Burnley, West Ham, Brighton, Southampton, and Norwich, if you're not winning, at least three out of those five, uh, to me, your fate is sealed. You have proven at that point that you are not capable of becoming a manager who can break down those teams who are going to continue to play that way against Everton. And at that point, it doesn't matter what you can do against the top six because the math says that there's more not top six than top six teams. And that's just not, it's not good enough anymore. So for me, anything less than three wins out of those five games uh, when we hit December 1st in that, that Leicester City match uh, gets the sack for me, and I don't even think twice about it. 
I, I, I respect that opinion. I think it's probably fair. I, I just don't know that I would want to throw somebody to the sharks, to the wolves, whatever analogy you want to use into that stretch of what is it? United, Chelsea, Liverpool, and mm-hmm. Arsenal maybe. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I would give them until after that stretch of four games in four against the top six. And, you know, if we're still 15th, 16th, 17th after that, um, it, it's going to be time to hit the highway. Yeah. And I think what, you know, I think I, you know, and, and what Adam's saying also is, you know, we know what we can do against those top six. And Chris, like, I agree with you that that would be a tough thing to get thrown into, but we know what we can do against those top six teams. It's not really about proving that to us, the fans. Well, the, the problem is if you're in a bad way after these next six games, you know that Marco knows how to get results against those good teams. You don't know that your interim manager or your new manager can do that. So you could put yourself in a position where it goes from bad to worse really quickly. And then you're in some deep shit. No, absolutely. I could, yeah, I completely, I completely, I completely get that. I think, you know, I tend to agree with, with Adam in this. I think we, we can all agree though, that these next six games are very important to telling us what we can get out of Marco Silva, because it's not been great so far. He's got six games now where he, as we mentioned, they're all very winnable games. I think we're going to learn a lot from these next six games as to whether or not, you know, Marco Silva is the guy to be here. Whether I would sack him after that, you know, I, I, you know, I tend to lean to what you're saying, Chris. I understand what you're saying where, you know, at least have him hold out until the end of those, those games. Um, you know, but then again, you get into the point of, you know, okay, we, we, you know, we lose six, you know, we don't do well in a six game stretch against teams we should beat. We do well in a three game stretch against teams we probably shouldn't beat. And, you know, we're again, constant roller coaster. It's, you, you know, it, it, you, you know, it's probably just another up and down season. I, you know, I don't really, I, it's it's tough to say. I I'm leaning more towards um, agreeing with Adam in this situation, just because I think that these next six games are going to tell us a lot. Um, but obviously, like I mentioned, you you can you know I see what you're saying as well, Chris. But you know, moving on to one of those six games that we got coming up, Burnley is that team. Um, you know, they're about as mid table as it gets. Um, you know, they're you know. Always seem to find themselves in the middle there. Um, you know, it's the same this year for them. Home victories over Southampton and Norwich. Draws at Wolves, Brighton, and Aston Villa. And a losses at Liverpool and Arsenal. Overall, the results, um, you know, seeing those results through the first seven matches here, they're in 11th place. Chris, is this where, right about where you... Uh, you know, where you expect Burnley to be after their, their first seven matches? Well, I think they're on a talent level. They're probably a little worse than that. Right. But this is the thing with Burnley, Burnley and with Sean Dyche, especially is they, they consistently punch above their weight and kind of defy the expected goals gods. So I, it's hard to tell how much 11th place is truly out of line. Um, They get by with hoofing the ball as far as they can upfield and blocking 90 jillion shots a game and I guess that's that's one way to do it I wouldn't personally enjoy it if I was a Burnley supporter but I I don't know that they deserve less than 11th place simply for figuring out something that works and sticking with it I kind of admire that honestly 
Yeah, um, you know, they they absolutely are and continue to be a, a, a team that is committed to to doing whatever it takes to just kind of stay relevant and be a thorn in everybody's side. And it's not always uh, interesting to watch or entertaining to watch. Um, but you can't argue that this continues to be about where they find themselves. And they deserve a lot of credit for that based on the overall talent or lack thereof in a lot of cases that's that's been brought into this team while we've seen the Wolves and the Evertons uh, of the world, you know, skyrocketing in terms of, of their transfer budgets. Yeah, I mean, you know, home victories. They, they, they've, they've won a couple games at home. They've gotten some, some good draws on the road. Home victories against bad teams. What a concept, right? Exactly. You know, we were just talking about that. You know, that's that's you what know, you do to get to be mid table. <laughs> yeah, and if you're and if you're Burnley, obviously, you know, we have, you know, for some reason have a higher expectation um as Everton fans, but if you're Burnley, that's good for you. No matter how how you play, to consistently get those results, get good results on the road, beat bad teams at home and, you know, that game against Arsenal wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like they fell over and and just gave up. They were tied at that game. I think it was 60, you know, with 30 minutes to play. Um, you know, that's really all you can expect from them. And like you guys said, 11th place seems about right. Um, you know, they've developed a reputation kind of, as you guys mentioned, as a sit deep and defend mid-table team, you know, as Adam put in here, a new Stoke City, if you will. New age Stoke. <laughs> that's firmly just what we all were asking for yes exactly, <laughs> exactly um you know is this you guys kind of addressed this already a little bit but you know was this a this is still a fair assessment of them still and you know how does that affect everton well so so let's let's look at the numbers here shall we um so Burnley, uh, on average has 42.1% of the possession, uh, in any given match. That is the second lowest in the Premier League to only Newcastle United. Newcastle, just for the record, holds 37.6% possession per match, which is really pretty impressive. Um, and then Burnley, uh, completes, and if you're not sitting down, sit down because this may startle you. Burnley completes 64.2% of their passes, um, which is the lowest in the Premier League by far. Uh, the next lowest is Bournemouth at 73, so we're talking a nine percentage points difference. Around, um, um, around these parts, we call that the Tom Davies. <laughs> oh, oh, see, see, now this week everyone can get mad at you on Twitter instead of me <laughs> for shitting on Mason Holgate. Um, <laughs> please at Gino knows sports on Twitter. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I just sit here. I'm just calm. I keep it nice and even all the way through. And now I'm just thinking I'm going to get blasted with tweets now. <laughs> uh, okay. But yes, to answer the question, I think just, just on those two numbers alone, um, you know, you can kind of, um, you can absolutely continue to make the case that Burnley, you know, are who they have been. Um, and they're pretty friggin' good at it, uh, for, for what it's worth. And, and we've talked about that Everton has struggled 
immensely uh, against teams that have come in and tried to do that against them, and in a lot of cases against teams that have tried to do that against them who do not necessarily have a you know three or four year history of doing that at record setting levels. Um, so this is a really really tough match for Everton based on what we've seen from them over the course of the last you know, 20 or so Premier League matches because this is the sort of match that if they don't get something early, if they don't get a goal in the opening 10 or 15 minutes minutes that opens the match up a little bit, uh, Burnley's going to just sit back and just say, please keep whipping in crosses. Do it until our heads explode because that's what that's what they want. That's what they play for. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's I think that's a pretty fair assessment, Chris. Anything? Um, I I I, I pretty much agree with that. I I want to get on to the, the next question because I have an answer for if Burnley's uh, attackers scare me. Yeah. Uh. All right. Um. Well, then, yeah. Ashley Barnes. Holy crap. Ashley Barnes sneakily actually maybe a good soccer player. Ashley Barnes, like, maybe not against, like, some other, I mean, against us, I am very, very worried about Ashley Barnes. Against everybody. He had 13-plus expected goals last season. He, he, his, his XG per 90 in the Premier League last year was .5. That's a goal every other game. That, that's literally the mark of a good striker. That's what we talk about as if you can score a goal every other game as a striker, you're a very good striker. And Ashley Barnes did it for Burnley. That's pretty good. <laughs> and yeah. So far this, this year, he's got four goals in uh, seven games. At, yeah. At 600 minutes. Uh, again, Barnley in the beginning of those, in, it, it hasn't scored in a while though, has he? Uh, let's find out. Um, I know he scored a bunch. I think he scored a, a brace early in the season and had a goal in the Arsenal. That's correct. Yeah, he scored twice in their opening day win against Southampton. Then again the following week in their two to one loss to Burnley or to Arsenal, excuse me. And then, September. and then uh, one, and then he scored the only goal for Burnley in a one one draw with Wolves the week after. So now he's gone four straight matches without a goal. Although he did have five shots against Norwich, which is uh, an achievement in its own right. You can just see this is the type of player and team that Everton allowed to get hot again. Well, I yeah. mean, just just to you know give you guys, uh, I just looked this up because I, I was wondering this. He did have a little bit of a, a groin injury, I think, in the in the middle of September here. So okay. that may have played in a factor. Of him not playing and not um not scoring a couple goals or uh, you know putting a couple in the back of the net there as well. Yeah, uh, you know, so I I think and we we know the way that that Burnley's going to play. You know, uh, they're just going to try to get the ball into space behind the back line, just hoof it, hoof it, hoof it, and see what see if Ashley Barnes can one time uh, just sneak in behind or in between the, the center backs and get a, a break on goal because if he can get that kind of chance, he's shown to be pretty good um, when he does get those chances. And, and you know, with our center backs, it's not very unrealistic to think that that is very possible. 
Um, so with that said, predictions, Adam, you want to go first? No, no, I do not. Thank you for asking, but I, uh, I would prefer not to, <laughs> um, uh, this, it just, it just feels like one nil to Burnley, doesn't it? Uh, oh, just, one it's, nil, it, it's, 100%. it screams one nil to Burnley well, here, I with mean, a here, crap goal from Ashley Barnes. Here's what <laughs> it is. Just, it's either it's either like six to one Everton like last mm-hmm. year, or it's one nothing Burnley. There's no in between. Yes, and, and again, and this is something that uh, we've talked about a little bit, and that um, ha- is is an important point when we talk about uh, the struggles that Everton has had under Marco Silva trying to uh, score goals against teams that play deep blocks. Um, they've actually been decent. Um, at getting early goals against teams that play that way. Teams, while they're still trying to settle in, kind of figuring out the spacing, okay, you know, what's the opponent doing, all, all that. If Everton gets a goal in the opening 10 or 15 minutes, it completely changes the game state because at that point now a team like Burnley knows, okay, well, at some point if we're going to take something out of this in the next 75 minutes, we've got to get a goal. And, and then you can't sit deep, at least not in perpetuity, and then Everton finds the space in behind to, to beat you. So if you get that early goal, absolutely. You can see Everton doing what they did last year and putting up, you know, a touchdown on them because once you open them up and get into space, the fact that, you know, their midfield has like Jack Cork in it becomes apparent when he's not surrounded by five other, uh, guys in the same shirt also defending, uh, in a unit with him. I, I've seen him play, but that's not a real name. I refuse. <laughs> Jack Cork? <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, to your point, so last year at Turf Moor, so the, you know, the equivalent fixture, Everton won five, nothing, five to one, pardon me. Um, Yuri Mina scored in the second minute. Lucas Dinier scored in the 13th minute. Gilfie Sigurdsson scored in the 22nd minute. So it, it really does prove that, you know, if you manage to nick one early, the floodgates can absolutely open. I just, the way that this team has been attacking recently, Manchester City game accepted, I don't have a lot of confidence that that can happen. I'm I'm going to say 1-1. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. I was going to go with 1-1 uh, as well. I just, you know, it's it's literally, there's there's no shot. I, I mean, it's hard to believe that Everton will score more than one goal, um, and it's hard to believe that they'll keep one out of the net. So um, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw as well. Uh, I think that wraps it up for us, guys. Anything else you want to say before we... Uh, Wrap this thing up. I just think um, it's worth noting, having just discussed, uh, you know, all that with game states and early goals, that Everton has two wins this season, uh, one nothing against Watford, 3-2 against Wolves. Uh, in the Watford game, Bernard scored in the 10th minute. Uh, in the Wolves game, Richarlison scored in the 5th. Wolves equalized in the 9th, and it will be scored in, t- in, the, uh, in the 12th. And every other game, Everton has not gotten an early goal and not won. Mm. 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 Wonder, wonder, <laughs> wonder who to blame that on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, bye. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's what we'll leave you with. Um, yeah, good luck sleeping tonight. Think about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. That's uh, that's definitely some food for thought right there. Um, oh, God, I hate you for bringing that up. You're um, welcome. <laughs> but that's it. Uh, have fun with that. Have fun with that information. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and, you know, got some sort of good information out of it. Um, Adam, Chris, thank you as always. And we will talk to you guys next week. Crack on. <laughs>